it is true that we need to see what God says about that. That was last week's message. What does God say a win is? What does God say a successful life is? Now what the world says, now what the culture says, what does God say? And that's what we want to shoot towards. And so it's good for us to learn God's word and put his word into practice as we launch out into a new year. Now, I want to examine and expand on this idea of who we are in Christ and what we are in Christ because that's so critical that we really, really know it's way down deep inside us and because it directs our life, understanding who we are in Jesus Christ. That's why out in the foyer are little notepads, and you can grab a notepad and put a little marker out there, because I think I mentioned an ink pen doesn't seem to write on it, so a marker out there, you can write your name on it. You can take notes, you can learn and grow, and our, our messages are online if you need to listen to something again. But it's critical that we understand how does God see us, and that we see ourselves the way God sees us, so we can thrive and not just survive, but we can thrive in our walk with God. So, it's very common in the new year to set goals. Very common in the new year to make resolutions. But most of us understand this, me and you have all done it, that a lot of our goals and resolutions don't tend to even make it till the first flip on the calendar. You know what I mean? Where you move to February and you go, yeah, I'm already, I've a, I'll start over next year. You know, we haven't made it very far, and we should make it pretty far. But here's our problem. I think that you and I often don't actually set goals, that we don't actually make resolutions, but what we do is we make wishful thinkings. And so we say, you know what? I wish I were 20 pounds lighter and in shape. I wish, you know, I could read through the Bible this year. I wish I had a consistent daily quiet time with God every morning. I wish I could get a big promotion at work and a gigantic raise. I wish I could go on my dream vacation. And we have a lot of wishes. There's a motivational speaker, super guy, Dennis Waitley, and Dennis Waitley said this. It says, so many of us actually live on someday aisle. I thought, oh, that's good. Someday I'll do this. Someday I'll do that. But it's because it's wishful thinking, not genuine goals or, or genuine resolutions. And so we need to see, okay, how can I get more accomplished in my life? But as God wants it accomplished in a way that my life honors him, because we've gathered here in the name of Jesus. So I'm not concerned about talking about what the world thinks success is or, or fruitfulness or winning. I want to know what God says, because I know this. I'm not going to stand before the world one day. I'm going to stand before the Lord. And by the way, I'm not going to stand before the Lord wondering if I'm going to get to heaven or not. That's finished in Jesus, and I've accepted him. But I want to hear these words from him. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy, the happiness of the Lord. And so I'm not going to stand before the world. I'm going to stand before the Lord. And so I want to find out what pleases God and how to do those things. When, when I was a kid, I loved this, this story of the little red hen. And just show of hands, has anybody heard of the story of the little red hen? Raise your hand up high. Okay. Most of us here, that's great. The Little Red Hen was my first audio book. I had not yet learned to read, and back then they had records. Records. I know some of you are going, a record? Like a, like a police record? No, not that. I mean, some of you all got that too, but I mean, I'm talking about a, a vinyl record, and, and I, I brought one along. 
just in case you've never seen one of these. This is for sale for $100 after service. Now, if somebody wants it, they can have it. I got a bunch of these just because I wanted to use it as an illustration. I could just buy one. I had to buy a whole box of these things. So I have no idea what song might be on some of these. This is uh, Paul Simon. Paul Simon, Tenderness. Does anybody know that song? Does anybody know Paul Simon, Kodachrome? Okay. I, I mean, I just always listen to worship music, so I'm not really sure. I'm not even sure who Paul Simon is, but anyway. Oh, my goodness, I better be careful. So I got this, this book, and, and I, I couldn't read. So actually, my cousins had it. And so we would put on this 45 record. Now, this is high technology in the day. I'm not kidding. And you may laugh and say, why couldn't you read? Well, I was only 12, and so, I, uh, so don't judge me. And so we would put on this record. It's really weird, too, because remember the record players? They always had one metal prong sticking up, a little skinny one. And then they make a record with a hole like this on it. Great marketing, because now I've got to buy an adapter that goes over the silver thing. Or, for some reason, most of them were yellow. I don't know why. They would make a little plastic thing you could insert in here, and it would give a little tiny hole so you could put it over top of it. And then it would play, and it would tell the story of the little red hen. In fact, seriously, before I could read, I had a favorite song, but I couldn't read. And so my parents, and they were 45s, my parents took and put a black marker around it. And it was... Um, I couldn't read, so I would look for that thing to play it. And, and, you know, all of us think our kids are brilliant. I'm sure my parents are saying, my kid's so brilliant. He's three or four years old. He can put a record on the record player, turn it on, and put a needle on it. Now, what song do you think little three, four-year-old Tracy McIntyre would play? Probably, good guess, would be Amazing Grace. Uh, no, that wasn't it. I think from looking back, I must have wanted to be an evangelist, you know, preach hard, because my favorite little song was um, by Johnny Cash, and it was, um, what's the name of that song? I went down, down, down in that burning ring of fire. I went, so I must have been like an evangelist. I was going to preach on hell or something and how to rescue people from that. Uh, I really did go blank on that. What's the name of that song? Ring of Fire, thank you. So we got the ring, Ring of Fire, and uh, so here was my first audio, this isn't Little Red Hen, but the first audio book. Now, Little Red Hen's got a goal. She, she finds some wheat, and she wants to have fresh baked bread. And so she's got some farm animal friends. She's got a, a pig and a, and a duck and a cat. You probably all got a friend that falls into one of those categories. So you've got your, your pig, your, your cat, your duck. And so you say, who'll help me plant this wheat? And and the pig and the, and the duck and the cat all said what? Not I. Not I. Who will help me harvest the wheat? Not I. Not I. Not I. Who will help me take the wheat to the mill? Not I. Not I. Not I. Nobody wanted to do anything. But one day, the little red hen creates some fresh baked bread. You ever smelled fresh, fresh baked bread? Oh, man. You know, they're smelling that. And she says, who will help me eat the bread? I will, said the duck. I will, said the cat. I will, said the pig. And the little red hen did what all of us want to do, but sometimes we just can't do it because we've got too much Jesus in us. But the little red hen said, no, I will eat it myself. And that is what she did. Well, the little red hen had kind of a goal, and 
the other three farm friends had wishful thinking. Their wishful thinking got thwarted by the little red hen. She ate it herself. So I think there's things we ought to accomplish, and God's not opposed to work. He's opposed to you trying to earn something by your work, but he's not opposed to work. He's not opposed to effort. In fact, you were actually designed by God to do good works. Your good works don't save you. You can't be good enough to earn it, but you were designed to do good works. But I've discovered that goals and and aspirations require some work. I want to lose weight and get in shape. Well, until I actually have to expend the energy to do it. I want to save some money so I'm not always living from paycheck to paycheck, but that takes controlling my spending, living on a budget, putting some money in the bank. (sighs) Who wants to do that? (sighs) I want to have a daily quiet time with God, but it requires me shutting off the TV a little bit or getting up a few minutes early and spending some time with God. That's work. Everything becomes work. Well, everything in life has some work to it. You, You actually expended some work to be here today. And I say thank you for that. Thank you for expending the energy and the effort, the work to be here today. But there's something that I think is very, very important that precedes our work, and that's discovering who we are. When we know who we are, and we know what we are, the chances are greatly increased that we will say yes to what we should say yes to, and no to what we should say no to. And by the way, because people say, oh, that's my problem with Christianity, all these rules and regulations, all these to-dos and not-to-dos, everything in life has them. Everything. The atheist today, he or she who wants to move up in their profession and climb the corporate ladder will find out there's all kinds of rules and regulations. No one ever says that they got a, their sights set on climbing the corporate ladder says, that's just one thing I hate about work. That crazy company expects me to show up every day. That company expects me not to be shopping online all day. That company expects me to even maybe work a little late. That company expects me to learn and to train and to do all this. Everything has do's and don'ts and codes of conduct. Everything does. But in order to do what we're supposed to do well, we need to discover who we are. I heard a person say this one time, who before do. I said, what? Who before do. They said, really, we succeed better when we know who we are because who we are will frame what we do. I always like to use the Olympic athlete in this. The Olympic athlete has a mindset and their heart is set that I am an Olympic athlete. So... When they see all their buddies, because most of these Olympic athletes are in school. Some of them are in high school or in college. they got to work and study as well as get up four hours early to go work out at their given, you know, whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. And they got to eat right while their friends are running off to a greasy, fat-filled, delicious breakfast. Uh, they are saying no. Why are they saying that? Because that's not who they are. That's not what they're about. Eating like that for breakfast and lunch and having a giant supreme pizza with a two-liter of cola will not move them closer to their goals but take them further away from it. So they say no to all kinds of stuff and yes to all kinds of stuff because they have an image of who they are and what they are. They are an Olympic athlete. 
And so it begins to structure. It makes it easier to say no to what they should say no to and easier to say yes to what they should say yes to because they have a, a mental and emotional grasp of who or what they are. Well, most of us here probably won't ever be Olympic athletes, but we do have something, and that is we need to know who we are in Christ Jesus. And so that's the title of my message today, Our Identity in Christ. Probably should have called it who before do. Our identity in Christ. Who are we in Christ? What does the Bible say about it? And I will tell you, what the Bible says about you is amazing. What the Bible, how the Bible sees you, how God sees you is amazing. Who doesn't see you that way is usually you. Because you and I get shamed by our sins and our guilt and our past. We get shamed by our struggles. We got the enemy whispering in our ear, the devil You'll never amount to anything. You can never be. You won't make it happen. At best, you'll be a second-class Christian. You know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And we buy into all those lies, but we should be free from lies. The truth will set you free. The truth will make you free. And the Word of God is truth. And it's forever settled in heaven. So we're going to see what God says about us, and we're going to put that in practice. And we're going to look at these verses to discover who. Who before do. Because instead of us running out here today with a big, long to-do list, how about we discover who we are, and then that makes the to-do list easier to do. So, let's turn to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. We won't be reading all those verses, but you can put that on your to-do list for the week. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. The new creation has come. I think the King James says, if anyone is Christ, they're a new creature... I think the New King James says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. And the NIV says a little differently here, but you are a new creation. You're a new creature if you're in Christ. As I say every time, because I've gotten so tired of hearing people tell me they're a Christian when they aren't Christians, that I always say, hey, being a Christian is really committing your life to Jesus in a life-changing way. Didn't say it would make you perfect, but it pushes you towards that path. Versus you just checked it on a on a list someday, a survey, that I'm a Christian because none of the other things seem to fit. You know, we're talking about really being in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here, verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Now, I want to explain that. To be reconciled, you may have and you may experience this a broken relationship, and you're far from each other. Sin broke our relationship with God. And God was the one who wanted to patch it up. You'd think we would be the one who wanted to patch it up, but God was. God reconciled us to himself in Christ. What's reconciled mean? Brought us back into relationship with Christ. God did that. And so we are reconciled, why, by our own good deeds and efforts? No. In fact, the Bible says that when we were dead in our transgressions and sins and without God and without hope and and cahoots with the devil, we didn't have any thought for God. God was reaching out to us. His great love, his rich love, his great mercy reached out to us. And so here it says, God's reconciling us in Christ, not counting people's sins, what? Against them. Hear me. Have you sinned? Yes. Are those sins being accounted against you if you're a believer? No. Really, though? I told you, God's word seems too good to be true, 
But God's word is amazing, and his word's forever settled in heaven. So I don't want you to live your life based off your emotions, your feelings, your guilt, your shame, any of that. I want you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, to base your life off what God says about you. God says he's not counting your sin against you. That should be a praise the Lord. Thank the Lord he's not counting my sins against me. So let's read on. It says... God made him Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin, or a sin offering for us, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. When you read this all throughout the New Testament, you will find this out. There's nothing about us earning or making things happen. The verbiage is always, you become, or God made, or you become, God made. God, we, we became the righteousness of God in Christ. So, we're a new creation, we have been brought back into right relationship with God. Our sins are not being counted against us. And we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. So I want to ask a question, a logical question. It's not a trick question, a logical question. If I am the righteousness of God, can I, can I get any more righteous than that? No. Is there something I could add to make myself more righteous? No. In fact, that's actually insulting. It'd be insulting to say, Jesus, I know the word left heaven, clothed himself in a human body, lived a sinless life, died the death that we deserve, paid the penalty for our sins, and rose from the dead, is seated at the right hand of the Father, but I feel like I got to do a little something here to make it better. It doesn't get any better than that. It is, it is a finished work from Jesus that we just need to hold out our arms and receive. We don't earn or work or do anything we receive. Jesus said, what works must I do? Uh, they, they asked Jesus, what must we do? What works must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus said, here's the work that God requires. Are you ready? I, I say it all the time. Here's the work he requires. Believe in the one he has sent. Now, I surely have to grovel before God and crawl through broken glass while I, I tell the Lord how evil I am. No, believe in the one he has sent. That's the work that God requires. Again, belief is a, a real deep thing, not a casual thing, but we believe. So these are things God says about you. I want you to get this locked into your heart. Because I know this, righteous people, people who perceive themselves to be righteous, are much more likely to behave righteously. It's just, it's your mindset. There are things, some of you here are so honest you, and you would not steal, you would not lie, you are so honest. And if you were about to lose everything you had, and $100 would help you so much, and you saw somebody who was very wealthy accidentally drop $100, you wouldn't be able to take it. You would pick it up and give it back to them. Why? Because you see yourself as honest, and you're not, you don't steal now, if you don't see yourself as that, you might go, "Woo, the Lord doth provide, and, you know, pick that up and put that in your pocket. But uh, we need to, how we see ourselves dictates many times how we behave. Let's look at Hebrews, amazing book, Hebrews 10, 5 through 18. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a what? A body you prepared for me. That's the Christmas message. A body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I, Jesus, said, here I am. 
It's written about me in the scroll. What's the scroll? The Old Testament scriptures. It's written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, sacrifices and burnt offerings. This is Jesus. He said, sacrifices and burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance to the law. The writer of Hebrews is writing to Hebrews, but we can glean a lot from this, even though we're Gentiles. said, okay, so, so God established this pattern of laws and this pattern of sacrifices and offerings, and yet he says, I'm not pleased with them? That wasn't really what I was looking for? That's correct. They say, well, why, why then? The law was designed. That's why I get so uh, exasperated when people think, well, we've got to come back under the law. Oh, my goodness, it's so clear that we do not come back under the law. We'll see more of that. The law was designed, let me tell you what the law is designed to do. It was designed to exasperate you. It was designed for you to say, I can't be good enough. It was designed for you to say, I need help. Remember when Paul cries out in the New Testament, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? And then he says, thanks be to God, Jesus Christ. He's who delivers me. The law doesn't deliver me. The sacrifices don't deliver me. The offerings don't deliver me, even though the law commanded them. The law is designed, best illustration ever heard, is the law is like a mirror. When I got up this morning, I looked into the mirror. It revealed my true condition. Now, I know some of these illustrations will only be my age and older, but do you remember a guy, Henry Winkler, played a guy named the Fonz? And the Fonz would go look in the mirror, and he'd go, hey, I mean, there's no improvement on this thing. That was not the experience I had this morning. I looked in the mirror. The mirror said, you need some work. I know some of you are saying, and this was it? This was the best you could do? Yes, this was the best I could do. And so you, you need your hair fixed. need your hair washed. You need to brush your teeth. You need to shave your face. All a waste of time, so I didn't do any of it. No, we need to do those things. Now, but listen carefully, because this is an illustration of the law. Did I use the mirror to wash my hair? No. Did I use the mirror to shave my face? Did I use the mirror? Well, I used it, but I didn't actually. I used the mirror to help me, but the mirror didn't cut the hair off my face. The mirror didn't wash my hair. The mirror didn't comb my hair. The mirror didn't do any of those things. The mirror simply revealed my condition. Then I had to look for the right tool to fix my condition. And so I'm going, man, you need to do something with that hair. Darlene says that to me all the time. You need to do something with that hair. I don't know. When I sleep, take a nap, I wake up, my hair's crazy. And uh, then I also run my hair through it. She says I look like one of the three stooges, but I never remember which one it is. So, so I, have to, I have to grab the right tool. Well, the law showed you you were desperately sinful and there was no way to fix you. And so you were supposed to look for the right tool. Well, we found the right one. Jesus. Jesus is the right tool. Jesus is the only one. And so let's, let's read on here. Okay. Then he said, here I am, I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. What's that? He sets aside the covenant of law, laws and, and sacrifices and offerings. He sets that one aside to establish a second 
the second one. What was the second one? The second one, he said, we said it last week during communion. He took the cup and he blessed it and he said, this is a cup of a new covenant in my blood. Now I have people tell me, well, you can't do that. You know, that covenant was established. The person with the power can do what they want to do. I have a legal binding covenant with my mortgage holder. We are coming down home stretch, but the home not paid off yet. So, somebody has enough power that if they wanted to, they could say, we're just going to stamp on that thing paid in full. Did you know that? Somebody has the power to do that. I don't have the power to do it. I have to make every payment on time, every time, in order to fulfill that covenant. But somebody has the power to say, you know what? These are good people. We're just going to paid in full. Jesus, God in human flesh, has the right to set aside a covenant that didn't work, and that was, it did its job. It showed us that we're in bad shape. We need a Savior. And he established the second one. Salvation by grace through faith. By belief. I know we don't think about this because we have so enjoyed this new covenant in Jesus, but can you imagine going back to animal sacrifice? Can you imagine saying, oh man, I racked up a bunch of sins today and I have to go give a sacrifice again and again and again and again? So, move on. And by that will, the will to establish the second covenant, we have been made what? Holy. We have been made holy. Now, did it say earned our holiness? We were made holy. I'm going to let you in on something. If you're a believer here today, you're holy. Now, that blows our natural mind because we know ourselves too well. We say, well, I can't. I can't say I'm holy. You know why you should say you're holy? Because God says you're holy. It's not an arrogant thing. It's a humbling thing. God says you're holy. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers sacrifices. The same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. That, that's because Jesus' sacrifice was so effective, so powerful, so capable, it never had to be offered again. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. In fact, they only covered sin. Jesus took it away. His sacrifice was complete. And so when he was done, he took a seat. It says, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. The final enemy that will be taken care of is death. If you fight death, that's pretty normal because it's an enemy. We resist enemies. Now what Jesus has done is he's taken away death's victory. He's taken away death's sting. But we still die, our physical bodies. But one day, ah, the book of Revelation says this. The book of Revelation tells us that one day there'll be no more death. No more dying. No more pain. No more suffering. No more tears. For the old order thing has passed away, and behold, the Lord said, I'm making everything new. 
Okay, let's read on. Verse 14, for by one sacrifice he, Jesus, has made perfect for how long? Well, surely that just means till I sin the next time. I'm just asking us to be logical. Can you imagine how messed up we would be if we got saved and lost and saved and lost and saved and lost and saved and lost, righteous and unrighteous, righteous and unrighteous, holy and unholy, holy. It'd be every time we sinned. It, it would be a crazy, we, we would go crazy trying to keep track of all that. We've been made perfect forever by one sacrifice. Those who are being made holy. I want to pause there just for a second because that's an interesting line. We said we're made holy, we're made perfect, but then it says being made holy. I believe the scriptures teach this twofold process that's going on in our lives. First of all, that when I am born again, and when you are born again, we have given our lives to Jesus. He lives inside us. When, when we have the deposit of the Holy Spirit, we are made perfect, we are made holy, we're saved. The scriptures just clearly say that. They say, why does it have a verse like this? And why does it have a verse like this, too? That you should work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say earn it. We have it. I believe something happens to us in the sight of God, and then something happens inside us that we're processing for the rest of our life. I'm holy, I'm perfect, I'm righteous in Christ Jesus. So when God looks at me, that's the way he sees me. However, well, there's no need to ask for a show of hands. We all know we do this. However, we all say, there are times I don't act holy. I don't act perfect. I don't act righteous. Well, that's where we need to take what we have inside us and begin practicing and working it out. And so when we behave in a way that doesn't honor God and glorify God, doesn't reflect his righteousness and holiness and perfection, we should pause and say, Lord, help me. That's, that's not who I am. That's not what I'm about. I need your help. I'm working that out. I work out the salvation that's in me. I don't earn it. I'm working out the holiness that's in me. The Holy Spirit also testifies about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Then he adds... Let's get excited about this. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Whew. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Now we get the idea that we don't have to offer a lamb, a bull, or a goat. But you and I are prone to want to try to fix something. So we do something wrong, we sin, and we say, I need to fix this. And so we say, that was a pretty big sin, so I need to be miserable for like a whole week on that one. That one wasn't real big, so I'll talk to God about it and, you know, be full of shame and guilt for an hour or two. All that is the sacrifice you're trying to make. It's already been paid for by Jesus. I would say we would be doing well to say, you know what? That was wrong. That's not who I am. That's not what I'm about. Holy Spirit, help me and dust ourselves off and move right on immediately. I don't know what is to be gained by spending a week in guilt and shame and misery when the Bible says that God has cleansed us from a guilty conscience and has washed our body with pure water. So, you know, you might have caught one of my goals today. What does God say about you? What does God say about me? Is it an excuse to live bad, to sin? Absolutely not. It actually fuels us to live right when we know who we are and what we are. So, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember how often? No more. Never? Never. No sacrifice for sin is necessary. Jesus paid it all. He paid for our past sins. 
He paid for our present sins, and he paid for our future sins. They're all paid for. It's the only way you can be made perfect forever. Otherwise, we get this idea, well, I get it, I got saved today and gave my life to Jesus, so all my past sins are forgiven, but what I'm going to do tomorrow won't be forgiven. I'll have to do something to fix that. No, you're, you're going down the wrong path. Just move on with God. Dust yourself off, learn your lesson, and go on. He's paid for them. All your sins, even future sins, have been paid for, and you are forgiven forever. Now, I could clearly show you this in, in Galatians and Philippians and Romans and in the Gospels and, and here in, in um, Hebrews. This is, this is the theme of our salvation. This is the understanding of what the apostles taught in, in what we call our New Testament, the Christian scriptures. We're forgiven forever. Now, if I can get my mind around that, and the truth is, if, if this is like absolute new revelation to you, you never thought about, you're probably not going to get it all today. But guess what? you got tomorrow and the next day, and you can keep working on it and keep getting that rooted inside you to your core. So who or what are we in Jesus or because of Jesus? I'm not even going to name them all here. We're a new creation. We're the righteousness of God. We are forgiven forever. We are perfect. We are holy. Other things we miss. We're reconciled to God. You know, all, the, all that stuff. This is what God says about us in Christ. That's why our salvation is so magnificent. That's why our salvation is, is so great. Because all this is covered. So it's a who before do. Who am I? What am I in Jesus? When I understand who I am and what I am in Christ, when you understand who you are and what you are in Christ, it begins to fuel you towards doing better and being empowered by God. So you say, well, how do I know if I'm doing who before do? Well, we learned last week that from the believer's point of view, from God's point of view, a successful win in life is to obey these things. We're to love God with everything we have, love our neighbor like we love ourselves. So you can kind of judge against that. We're to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's part of the who we are doing. It's part of what we're establishing in our lives that creates that who, an understanding of who I am and what I am. So when I look at my life and I find out that everything's moving me away from that, like, well, I really don't have time to be in the house of the Lord. I really don't have time to use my gifts or my talents for the glory of God. I really don't have time to volunteer. I really don't have time to, to give. I really don't have time to do any of that because my, my life is taking me this way. Then you haven't put who before do. When, when God becomes becomes seventh and eighth and twelfth and fifteenth on your list, you've gotten out of, out of sync with God. And so you want to keep him first. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. So now I start doing everything in his name, and everything becomes an act of worship. Everything becomes spiritual. So you're saying, so you think everything can become spiritual? Well, within reason. I mean, I, I think if you said, I am going to be the best Christian illegal drug dealer in this region. I think, okay, yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not it. So within reason, but things you can put the name of Jesus on. So, so you're telling me that I could lose weight or get healthy and it could be a spiritual thing. Sure. You're putting Jesus first in that. So I could get my finances under control and, and be better at that, and that could be spiritual? Absolutely. So 
Having a great marriage or great friendships could be spiritual? Absolutely. Creating a meaningful, quiet time with God can be spiritual? Yeah, absolutely. Working, doing whatever. It can all be when he becomes the focus of what we do. And we do it in his name, for his glory. When God's in the center of it, he empowers our life. That's why I said when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and that becomes what we seek after instead of what the pagans seek after, then God will give us all the things the pagans seek after as well. Hmm, that was what we talked about last week. But our focus becomes different, and then it's almost like God says, hey, if you want to keep me first, I'll keep all your other stuff first. If you want to put me eighth in line, then I'll just let you focus on that, and you can do as best you can with it. So we need to put him first. It empowers everything we do. We must keep him first. We must decide, he is who I am and he's what I'm about. Colossians tells us that Christ becomes our life. Not a little part of it, but he becomes our life. And so we, we wake up and we go to work. And when we go to work, Jesus is Lord. One of the, uh, I might have even shown it sometime in the past, but one of the Baldwin brothers, uh, their actors, he's a believer. He tells a story about how their housekeeper was taking care of their home, and she always played this worship music. And it kind of annoyed him and his wife a little bit, not too bad. So they asked him, says, is there any other kind of music you can play while you clean? And, and she basically said no. And uh, so she talked to him and said, oh, there's a mistake here. He said, you think you hired me to clean your house. But I'm on assignment by God to impact your lives for Jesus. They said, that's crazy talk. Until they gave their lives to Jesus. And then they realized, oh my goodness. So what did that lady do? She got up every day and went and cleaned people's homes as an act of worship. And she said her first priority was to be salt and light wherever God put her. So what happened? Cleaning a house became spiritual. Spiritual. Hmm. When we begin to see this, we can get rid of the lies. Because I know what the lies are, and there's more than just these, but you know what? I'll never really amount to much because of my past. What I've done, the sins I've committed. Hold on, time out. What did we just read? Your sins and lawless acts, he will remember no more. The past is gone, the new has come. See, that's all either in your head or in your heart or being whispered to you by the devil or by people who don't know better. But God says, that's gone, the new has come. You're a new creation. Well, I probably won't be able to do much for God because I'm just a second-class citizen when it comes to Christianity because of my past. No, it's forgiven, forgotten, you're new. Well, I'll probably never really have favor on my life because of the things I've done. Really? God's bigger than that. There will be favor on your life. If you're a born-again believer, then there's, it's forgotten. It's new. You're a new creation. So here's our assignment for the week. Reread these verses this week. Think about them. Let them fill your heart with joy and thanksgiving and confidence. If you've got a smart device, you can take a picture of that. You can get online later and look these things up if you miss it it'll be on facebook and on our website soon um you actually can do the old-fashioned thing that i like doing take a little notepad and jot those verses down and read those this week
Now, reading those verses will be work. Not much work, but it will be a little bit of work. I want to challenge everybody here to read those verses and uh, read them multiple times this week and just start thinking about, this is what God says about me. See, we don't progress sometimes in our faith because we just hear a message and let it go. Those who monitor such things say in like seven to ten days, over 90% of what I've shared with you today is gone. Now you can relearn it faster a second time, but it's gone. Don't let it slip. Hold on to it. Read these things. Meditate on Let them fill your heart with joy. Let them fill your heart with thanksgiving. Let them fill your heart with confidence of who you are in Christ. Then once that's established, our doing becomes easier. I didn't say it would be flawless. I didn't say it would always be easy. But it would become easier to do what we should do and to not do what we should not do because we now see ourselves differently in Christ. Let's pray together.